Welcome to the Korea Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is one of our senior consultants and a member of the podcast team, Ms. Joan Blake. My name is Joan Blake, and I am a senior consultant with Transition Solutions. I'm here for today's podcast with Joe Bovet. Joe is a sales executive with Cox Engineering, an industrial HVAC organization. He joined them 15 years ago, originally as a service coordinator. Welcome, Joe. Good morning. Hey, so listen, tell us a little bit about your early life and education and how to influence your career choices. Okay, uh, my early education, I went to uh, vocational technical high school um, in uh, what was a program called Marine Industries, learning about, uh, you know, fishing, maritime, things like that, being from New Bedford, that was a, a, a viable career choice at the time. Uh, from there, I decided to go into the, the military, went into the United States Navy, um, did six years in the Navy, which I consider part of my education as well, and and then um, got out of the Navy and went into the workforce. Why the Navy? Why not the Army or one of the other branches? Well, like I said, the, the uh, maritime training that I had, that kind of made sense, but the Navy is also has the most career opportunities uh, as far as the military goes, anything from aviation to uh, submarines, nuclear field, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of different um, job opportunities. Um, did you serve on a submarine or what kind of? I, I did not serve on a submarine. I, I worked on a submarine repair ship. So been on many submarines, repaired many submarines, uh, have never been submerged in a submarine. Oh, okay. All right. And, and how did the Navy train you? How did you acquire these skills? Well, I, when I signed up, based on uh, aptitude tests and, and things of that nature, you uh, have the opportunity to select different career choices. And I was able to take a, a pretty good career choice. I had to give up two extra years, but that guaranteed me some extra schooling. Uh, and the Navy has a series of schools. they called A schools uh, that gives you a certain basic field, but then there's also C schools, um, which uh, carry on even further. So for the first, uh, the better part of the first two years I was in the Navy, I was actually in school. So. No kidding. So C school as in the letter or the as letter in C, the water? Yes. Yep. Okay. What does that stand for? I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the military, so it's an acronym. And I don't know what happened to B school either because yeah, there's right. no such thing. So That's awesome. <laughs> When you've made changes, why did you do it? Oh, well, obviously, with the military, I didn't want to do a career in the military, so I got discharged after six years. So uh, honorable discharge went on in, in, into the civilian workforce. And then since then, I, I, um, then I went to work for uh, Rolls-Royce Naval Marine, which was directly correlated to, to what I did in the Navy. I left there after about 14 years just because of a successive corporate buyouts, things just got a little crazy. And then I had another brief stint uh, after that very short period of time. Just the, the culture of that job wasn't right. So I, I left that and I've been with Cox Engineering for 15 years. Some, <clears throat> some folks, when they transition out of the military into civilian, go through some challenges. Did you have any challenges transitioning into civilian life? No, I don't think so. Uh, but I lived a pretty... Uh, uh, normal life even while I was in the military. I, well, I, we did go to sea for periods of time. It wasn't extended periods of time. I also was not in combat or anything traumatic like that. 
so I could see that being coming from you know you know a deployed person in the army who's seen combat and things like that. I, I think that would be a very difficult transition. But I was based in Connecticut. It, it was a pretty uh, nine to five for the most part with exceptions for uh, when you had to stand duty and things like that. But it was a pretty, not a hardcore military life, so to speak. Okay. And how did you get that first job with Rolls-Royce? Um, I think uh, it was an advertisement in the Boston Globe. That's how things were done back in the day, right? <laughs> and then thumb through the paper, find an opportunity. And then uh, because Rolls-Royce was a big a Navy contractor and the way they did things. My skills from the Navy lent themselves to not only my first job at Rolls-Royce, but uh, I started there in quality control, which is what I was doing when I left the Navy, then moved into uh, technical writing. I've always been a pretty good writer, but having the background in the Navy, the way the manuals are written, the way the manuals are structured, I had used those for six years, so I went into a department helping to develop those manuals. So, uh, you know, that was a natural transition as well. No kidding. So <clears throat> you actually read the manual when you were making repairs and doing quality checks? Well, you read uh, the instructions? <laughs> when you're working on a nuclear submarine, there are times when you they actually have the manual out and someone is reading it step by step, uh, particularly when it involves operations with the uh, nuclear reactor or the handling of weapons. There is someone standing there reading the manual step by step. I'm glad to hear that. I feel a lot safer, and I'm sure the people on the ship do, too. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about um, uh, the acquisitions? Um, so how many acquisitions did Rolls-Royce? Well, there were, there were three acquisitions in succession, very short period of time. So Rolls-Royce was originally, was originally called Bird Johnson. It was owned by a, a Swedish firm, Uh through an American holding company because it's a defense contractor. Uh, and that had really great culture from the top. We had a couple of local um, managers who were a bit over the top. But as far as the corporate culture from the top, uh, Antonia Johnson owned the place. And uh, there was a very strong corporate culture. It was pretty awesome. Uh, and in fact, when she sold the company, she actually sent us all a very nice letter. Everyone got a check for $1,000. It was kind of over the top. Uh, and I hope Antonia is still doing well. Uh, I recently saw her on the Forbes list, so I'm assuming she still is, right? But then, uh, so then we were bought out by a company called Ulstein, which is a Norwegian company. Another awesome corporate culture. Uh, we, we, I was fortunate enough to get to go to corporate headquarters in Olstein, Vic, Norway. Awesome company. Uh, very down to earth. Uh, when you pass the owner in the hallway, it was like not a big deal. Um, and so th that was going well. And then they got acquired by a company called Vickers, which was a, a British company, bigger than, these were all bigger uh, total buyouts. Nobody was pairing off parts of a company or something like that. And then after about a year, Vickers got bought by Rolls-Royce. And what they, the, has nothing to do with cars anymore, but Rolls-Royce makes uh, gas turbine engines, which are used on airplanes typically, but also used on ships. So that made the acquisition of the propeller company. And they also wanted a foothold in the United States Navy for both main propulsion gas turbine generators and things like that so 
So you've mentioned awesome culture a couple times. What does an awesome culture look like? Uh, just, uh, the, you know, the way people are treated. Uh, obviously, like I said, if, you're, if your direct report is a jerk, he's a jerk, right? Independent of the culture. But um, like I said, at, at Rolls-Royce, the benefits were very good. Um, they always took care of us. Um, one of the things that always struck me, when I first started with them, we had a pension, a regular pension. That pension uh, for all of the uh, North American holdings was 100% funded, which you don't. That's unheard of. That's right, incredible. Right. So um, I think Antonia thought enough of people to, to treat him that way. And like I said, when Antonia typically came around, I'd call her Antonia like I know her, but um, she came around every year and, and uh, would go see everybody at their desk and, and, and stop and say hi to everybody. And, and like I said, uh, I, I think there was just a real you know, collective attitude that, and the same thing was true with Olstein. Uh, they had, like I said, I met Morton Olstein, the owner. Um, and the one thing always struck me with Morton Olstein, he was walking through our offices once I had transitioned to the service department and there was a hydraulic motor laying on the ground and he knew what that was used for. So that's for the owner of the company. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And, and, that's very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. So you got um, transferred, you said, to the service department? Right. Uh, again, one of the, th the, the things that uh, if I were to give career advice to somebody would be to, if you find a good company, don't be afraid to move around, especially not having a formal education. That That's always served me well, both at Rolls-Royce and Cox Engineering. So after a while of, of the, you know, the technical manuals, they needed help in the service department. And, and what that entailed was Burr Johnson slash Rolls-Royce had service technicians all over the country because they had to be near home ports, you know, for the Navy and for civilians. So uh, so getting that all together and getting them the technical information that they needed, uh, prints, manuals, parts, uh, and things like that. So a lot of scheduling. That was an interesting job, like I said, because it involved work, you know, Japan, Australia, uh, Greece. Are these phone calls or are these trips that you were making? No, for, for me, it was it was phone calls setting things up. I, later on, I did some service work around the U.S., uh, particularly uh, related to the fast ferry industry, uh, which was a new product line for us. But most, most of it was uh, in the office. I'd travel maybe a dozen times a year to go check up on things and things like that. But, okay. All right. So how did you find the uh, job at Cox? Um, when I left... Um, Rolls-Royce, like I said, I, I, I had actually left with another job in mind. It wasn't etched in stone. Went to work for a company, uh, a local company, for, for a very short period of time. I said the, the culture was horrible. The guy that I was working for was, was uh, out of control. And, and like I said, it was never a good, it might have been a good fit for my skills, but the way they ran things, it just uh, didn't work out. So I left there without having a backup plan. Um, and the interesting part about going to work for Cox Engineering, I answered an ad on maybe monster.com for a sister company of theirs, uh, which was called Cambridgeport. And somehow someone passed a resume along and said, hey, you might want to look at this guy. And so I started out as a service coordinator, which was very similar to what I was doing in the service department at Rolls-Royce, but uh, on a much more local level. And then, like I said, 
once again, going back to finding a company that's good to work for, being willing to try new things. I've done three, four, five different things at Cox Engineering. Uh, and when I say not always a transition, you know, I'm doing this job today, I'm doing that job tomorrow. But, uh, okay, hey, can you do some of this for us? And then transitioned into this job, uh, implemented a new computer system for scheduling, helped with that, um, took over invoicing because that was a particular problem with the system uh and then that transitioned in i was doing some part-time sales and then that transitioned into full-time sales how'd you learn to sell um well i, I think doing it internally we had some inside sales and then I, I was doing some account uh management and then so selling um to existing accounts is is it's inside sales, so they need what you have. You price it up, uh, and then we um, we did some new sales. But uh, interesting, the, the the way we used to have the job set up, the last thing you had time for was new sales. Where I think it was four years ago, they reorganized things, and now we have outright new service sales uh, division. So I'm one of four people in that division, so it's all sales all the time. But I think it's just about knowing the industry and then personal relationships and, and just being, you know, outgoing. And, and uh, Yeah, you are kind of outgoing, aren't you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> What role, if any, has luck, good or bad, played in your career? I, I think luck is... Um, uh, without getting into any sports cliches, you know, I, I think you kind of have to be open-minded with things. And if you're willing to try new things and someone offers you a job and you're willing to try it and, and put some out, is that luck? I, I don't know. But um, uh, my wife calls me a very lucky person, and I'll take that. Uh, Why does she think you're lucky? Uh, things always seem to work out. You know, if you plan for A, then B falls into place. Oh, my they're sending me here that just so happens to be something in that city I want to do and and you know so um, it's not you're not she doesn't think you're lucky because she agreed to marry you <laughs> that may be part of it too that, I, I would agree with that actually so oh. so what advice would you give to somebody today wanting to go into sales a lot of kids coming out of school we see a lot of kids come through for various positions and I, I always encourage people to try sales at some point in time. Uh, I, I think if you really know what you're doing from an engineering standpoint, you can sell. I mean, that, that's a great way to sell. Um, marketing, you know, great way to sell. And I, I think sales just offers some real good work flexibility. You get to meet a lot of different people, see a lot of different things, if, if that's what you want to do. I mean, if, if you're an introvert, that may not be your thing. But, um, but then also there's a reward with sales, the magic of commission. Uh, um, it's I make a very good salary but then the commission's four times a year it's it's a you know and that's directly related to how much you're selling and and so there's a uh you know a reward system there but uh like i said i i like meeting new people you know looking at different stuff in in uh so i would always recommend someone uh give sales a try at some point in their career so looking back on your career is there anything you would do differently in retrospect, going way back, I, I wish I had gone to college, but that that wasn't in the cards at the time. So, um, you know, made the best of it. Uh, came from a pretty modest upbringing, and in, in, uh, so that wasn't in the cards at the time. I think I, you know, I wish I had just for work for life experience. You know. So you're a young man. There's still time. There is sure. There you go. 
Well, Joe, thanks so much for participating in our career pod. We wish you all the best. Thank you very much.